The Start On Demand. On demand. It was an unprecedented winter storm to hit southern Manitoba in the early fall. One area in particular that got hit hard, Portage La Prairie and the surrounding region. Loren McNabb went out there to check in on how things are going after all of those power outages. We also want to talk about what would you eat if you could only eat one thing for the next 17 years. There's a guy in Florida who has basically only eaten mac and cheese for the last 17 years. So we'll explain why that is, and we'll get into what would we eat if we could only pick one thing for the next 17 years. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb, and this is the Tuesday, October 15th podcast for The Start. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, Jeff Forte, and Master Control. Greg, how are you, sir? I'm doing all right, Brett. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing okay. Greg is in studio with me. Loren McNabb decided, you know what? She didn't work hard enough this week. She came in on her day off yesterday for a special broadcast with Richard Cloutier from 7 until 9, and now she's in Portage La Prairie. Loren, where are you stationed? Where are you right now? I'm about four miles north of Portage, and it was a pretty interesting drive in. They just got power on in Portage last night. So everybody kind of inside city limits in Portage has their power back on. But you head, you know, 100 meters outside Portage into the RM, and it is pitch black. I'm about four miles north of the city. You can perhaps hear in the background a generator running. Uh, I'm at the property of... uh, a man who's been working hard to help others get power. He's got his generator going to keep electricity with him uh, and to keep his lights on, but it is dark everywhere else. If you don't have a generator, you're not seeing much this morning. It was a perspective raising a weekend, wasn't it, Loren, for to hear of so many people without power. Uh, Manitoba Hydro saying it's the busiest and the worst uh, stretch they've ever had over 100,000 people or customers without power at different times, which means more than 100,000 people without power at different stretches. I think sometimes we get upset when the cable goes out for 45 minutes. So to (laughs) imagine to be without electricity, and which means for most people, no heat either. That's that's right. And I'm, you know, on this... uh property four miles north of Portage is the home of Kirk Ginsling. He's the also the owner of the Avenue Honda Polaris and he says over the past four days since the power went out on Thursday he's uh, had generators just fly off the shelf. He's brought in dozens more people coming in you know by the hour just to pick them up just so they can supply some power to their property but he even he says you know even with the generator you take for granted you go to do something and you realize wait i can't go do the thing i was just going to do like turn on the stove turn on the lights use your wi-fi access your cable because you don't have the power so it's been a real reality check for lots of us he's smart he's got the generator but a lot of people don't yeah, I'm just looking at the uh, last check is in terms of outages in Manitoba for Manitoba Hydro. The updated list as of now says 14,615 customers still affected. Many of them, as you pointed out, Loren, in that Portage of the Prairie region. Just looking at their map, uh, you, can't, you can't even see Portage of the Prairie because it's just blanketed in red, which indicates at the Manitoba Hydro website, which areas don't have power. And it's not just the the power outages. I went for a walk yesterday around Osborne Village and through Crescentwood and uh, just devastation in terms of all the trees that have been downed uh, to the point where sometimes you had to walk on the street to get around the trees. Uh, Just brutal. What's it like in your neighborhood, Mackling? Yeah, I lost uh, big chunks of two different trees. My city tree, which I think is an elm, and a maple tree uh, of my own that uh, could have caused some more serious damage than it actually did. But I spent uh, a little bit of time with my brother-in-law yesterday cutting up those trees that were on our property. We got away fairly lucky. A uh, few people on my bay, I think, are going to lose their city tree for all together. And all throughout North Kildonan and spent a great amount of time over the weekend driving around. Uh, Headmaster Row, in particular, had trees that were weighed down all the way to the ground. You had to drive around them. Uh, lots of downed trees on Bonner Avenue. Seeing it everywhere. And, of course, 
downtown and the West End and River Heights, uh, really, really bad people that have been and were without power for for several days. Someone that I know in Glen Elm, which is around Elmwood, had a tree come down through their garage. Oh and so, you know, it's just been a challenging situation. And Loren, the word unprecedented keeps coming up. Yeah, repeatedly yesterday, we heard from Manitoba Hydro that this was an unprecedented situation in terms of the lines down. We spoke to the mayor and, of course, uh, the assistant fire chief about the number of trees. They're calling on outside resources for advice and information and potentially even help. And I think that we might hear more today in terms of the full extent of the damage. We heard that there was a thousand poles down in this area where I am in Portage, another thousand in the interlake. And Hydro saying yesterday that it's possible that there's probably a third row of a thousand poles or you know a three thousand total out uh, that they still haven't been accounted for because they're still assessing the damage and so it's incredible to think about what they're going to have to do and the resources that will have to be put in took a drive by the airport south of portage this morning southport and that's where they're going to stage i think what sounds like at least 200 hydro crews moving in this morning to try to get power back on for folks here. Loren, we've also heard reports of our friends from Saskatchewan and Minnesota coming into the province to help out. Do, do we have some numbers on that? Yeah, so we heard yesterday that they're all going to different regions. And so, so far, Saskatchewan Power is sending five diggers, two bucket trucks, one tracked crane, and 21 staff. They're going to move into the Portage area, Nipua and Dauphin. Hydro One, which of course is from Ontario, is also bringing in some equipment and another 20 people to go to Arburg and other areas of the interlake where we know at least a thousand poles are down. And the Minnesota Power is also moving in, 14 staff, they're also going to be coming to the Portage area. So Portage very much the focus for many of the restoration efforts. The top story, which of course is the storm and the fallout. All sorts of issues inside the city of Winnipeg, but really the bigger story is outside the perimeter highway. And no bigger is the situation than it's been in Portage La Prairie for the last four days. Our Loren McNabb is there, standing by with Jason Finney, who is uh, extending some extraordinary hospitality to you and us this morning, Loren. Yeah, you know, this is what I like about uh, heading outside of Winnipeg. You get to see uh, some great Manitobans who are opening up their doors. Met me at 5.30 this morning. Kirk opened up his shed, fired up the generator, has his Wi-Fi humming. He's been without power for uh, since Thursday night, and so have much of his neighbours. When you're driving into Portage, you can see the lights on in the city, but you step outside city limits, and it is completely dark. On the drive out here, you can see lines that are down, and the folks that are in this area know darn well it's going to be days without power. Jason Finney is one of them. He joins me now. He farms about five miles north of where I'm sitting. Tell me what life has been like the last four days without power. You've got a generator going, but that doesn't mean life continues as normal. No, there's uh, no hot water. We have water on the municipal system. But it's not too bad due to the generators. We got a couple little space heaters running, got the freezer running, the fridge is plugged in, and a couple little trouble lights. And it's not terrible, but without the generators, it would be. It would be terrible without the generators because you would be on your fifth day without power. When you stepped outside Friday morning, uh, as the snow continued to fall, what went through your head? Describe the scene that was kind of around your area. Friday wasn't too bad. It was a little snowy, a little bit. We went to town for a bit and came back probably about 4 o'clock, and by that time some hydro lines were down, and it wasn't that bad yet, but Saturday morning about 8 o'clock when we went out, you could tell it was going to be a long time before there was any power back. What kind of lines did you see down? I mean, are you, are you talking uh, some of the bigger ones, not just a couple poles, but everything in your area seems to be damaged? Yeah, there's all kinds of east-west uh, grids that are down. There's poles for a mile straight that'll be down, wires ripped off, cross driveways, kind of everything. There's a major line just a mile north of me, and it's broke off pretty bad too. So when you hear that the fix is 7 to 10 days away as of yesterday, uh, does that sound about right, or are you thinking it could be a lot longer than that? When I first saw it all, I said it's going to be longer than that. It'll be a couple weeks, and we better get another generator to sourced out and up and running. So you're prepared to be without power until potentially the end of October? That's, I guess, what it is is what it is. We can't really change it, but it'll be at least a week or a couple. Speaking with Jason Finney, a Portage area resident, also farmer. So adding to your stress this time of year, I mean, the power is one thing, but you've got 1,500 acres, is that right, of soybeans and other things sitting on your field that you can't get off? 
Yeah, we took a bunch of canola off the other day. It was still wet. It wasn't dry by any means, but we put it in bins on air, and we're planning on drying it this weekend or this week coming up. But now we got this pretty wet canola sitting there, and it's not on air, so I guess we'll turn it today and flip it over in other bins just to see what it's like and go from there. So explain that to people who might not know. Uh, when you take a crop off the field and it's wet, you have a dryer system that helps uh, dry it out. You can't do that with a generator. No, where you use propane and power and run it through the dryer and basically just like a big big heater and it dries it as it goes through. But without the power, there's no way to run it and dry it. Jason, you're sitting there, uh, you've got no power at your house, you're running things with the generator, then you step outside, you see that mass around you, but you also see crops still sitting in the field. So aside from the fact that you've pulled canola off that you can't dry, how hard is it to drive past those fields every day and see them wet and soggy and still sitting under some snow in some cases? Well, there's quite a bit out there. We still have 500 uh, soybeans, a couple hundred uh, edible beans, and the corn, we'll get the corn later because it's taller, but the beans are lower to the ground and... Just don't know if we'll get it this year or not. What's the hardest part been for you and your family over the last four to five days? I guess just without the power, every time you go to do something, it just doesn't quite work the way you think it does when you go to reach for a switch and it doesn't turn on, and you kind of get used to it. I guess it's almost like camping after a few days. You forget, though, right? You, You go to do something, even though you've been a few days without power, and then you stop and think to yourself, right, I can't just turn the stove on right now, or I can't just do this or that. Yeah, and you're constantly watching the generators, your gas or whatever. The one ran all night, and about 5, 10 this morning it ran out of gas, and you're in the total dark with a flashlight, and go fuel it up again and keep on going. Now, in the background, guys, you might be able to hear a generator running in the shed that we're sitting in. It also adds a few fumes to the situation. You're getting used to the smell of gas, and, and, and Jason, I guess this will be your life for several more days to come. Yeah, it seems to be the normal now. You just put some gas in and keep on going and can only do what you can do. Can I say you're remarkably calm? I don't know if I'd be this calm. Uh, You can't do much about it. It's going to be what it's going to be. All right, that was Jason Finney, folks. He farms nine miles north of Portage La Prairie. Obviously, quite the situation for them. But, hey, if you can keep that attitude going, you're good to go, I think. What do you guys think? Well, one of the more startling images I've seen on the social media is those uh, five- or six-story transmission towers that have collapsed under the weight of the snow. And I don't know if you saw any of that uh, on your way in this morning, Loren, but I mean, that alone has got to be a little bit uneasy to see something so gigantic being basically just crumpled into nothing like a, like a tin can. Yeah, Jason was saying, I think that's actually one of those big metal towers is one of the ones he's nodding now. Yeah, they're down in his area. And did you see several of those poles like snap like that? Not just the wooden ones, but the metal ones? Yeah, there's a couple on the main line that crosses the diversion, the taller towers that one snapped right over and the other to the top is broke off of. Yeah, so it's not as simple as just looking at, you know, putting a wooden pole back up. And I know that's not a simple process either. That's not what I'm suggesting. But I think that's part of the reason why people living around here know that that estimate is just a best guess. If you look at that kind of damage, it's hard to believe they get it all fixed uh, in a week's time. Loren McNabb, thank you very much. Joining us live from Portage La Prairie this morning. Mackling, McGarry, McNabb is in Portage of the Prairie. She'll rejoin us after 7 o'clock. Jeff Braun is here. Kelly Moore. Producer Kyle stepping in for Jeff Forte, who had to flee the building, not feeling too well. Jeff, get well. Drex was talking about this overnight, Greg, the shift with Drex. Uh, I heard something about guy eating the same food for 17 years. Mm-hmm. Sociopath. Well, he sounds pretty normal. Do you want to do do meet him? No. His name is Austin. I don't want to say I'm a dick. But because it sounds so weird, but like my body won't let me eat anything else. I didn't choose to be like this. Why do they have so many broccolis, you know? Do you eat the bush? I never would have chosen to be like this. Looking at that, there's like gore. I'd rather have random chemicals than knowing that like I got to drain the blood out of my meat. Ew. I'm actually like serious. Like, like this is a problem. It's weird for me to think of eating any food that's not yellow. My name is Austin, and for the past 17 years, I've eaten almost nothing but mac and cheese. Seems legit, too. So he's got, like, a medical condition? What was the draining the blood thing? It's called, I think he was just talking about uh, 
doesn't want to eat meat. Oh, just like, yeah. okay. But he's, he's, he's got something called restrictive food intake disorder. He's currently seeking therapy to deal with his past trauma and his current food disorder. Uh, it's not a fantasy, the article reads. It's his reality and has become his affliction. For Austin, it's about much more than just liking mac and cheese. He suffers from selective eating disorder, also known as avoidance slash restrictive food intake disorder, which is an anxiety disorder that's characterized by the persistent refusal to eat specific foods or refusal to eat any type of food due to a negative response from certain sensory characteristics of that food. So He talks about the texture. He goes on to talk about how he really is the only food that he can manage texture-wise. The color, he even acknowledges, he reads the ingredients and he goes, yeah, yeah. I know really you could be making a chemical bomb from some of this stuff, but it's more comforting for some reason for him to eat this non-stop. So, naturally, we want to know, if you could only eat one thing for 17 years, what would it be? I think I know what Kelly Moore's is. I'm going to write it down. I, got a, I got a questionable caveats here. Yeah. Uh, in this scenario, do I enjoy the taste of it every single time? Well, or, how would you or, know? I'm just, I'm just asking. Is it if I can enjoy it like I would the first time? That's a different I, I answer than if I would get sick Im- of it. I would well, suggest that would be impossible. I want to yeah. hear both answers then. All right, we'll start with Kelly. Though. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> I've written down what I think Kelly's answer is. Oh, toast and peanut butter. Toast and peanut butter. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. That's exactly what Greg wrote down. Okay, what kind of toast? Uh, well, whole wheat toast, I guess. I don't know. I, I, the reason Greg does that is because every morning when I do, after I do the last sports cast at 9.30, as uh, regular as clockwork, unless something's come up, I'm in the in the uh, staff lounge making my toast and peanut butter. And it's crunchy peanut butter. We have to point it out. It has to be crunchy peanut butter. And I bought a... I bought a jar of smooth by mistake, oh, but no. oh, just God. about just about finished up. Oh, you just saw the sale price it and didn't a read the label on right? it too. Usually, it's say, green yeah. light for the yeah. smooth. Yeah. Hey, yeah, Kyle Milroy, nice to have you aboard. Hi, everybody. In for the ailing Jeffrey <laughs> Forche. If you could only eat one thing for seventeen, you know years. what? I think if it was a matter of like like so, you can just eat the thing, and then you can have whatever variety you want. Maybe pizza. Because you can put all kinds of stuff on there, pizza or ham, like a hamburger, because you can load up whatever you want in a hamburger every time. But well, if it's like a specific thing, good thinking. that might be different. Yeah, that's true. But this Austin guy says, like, I could have the four cheese yeah. version of mac and cheese. He goes, ah, but I typically shy away from that. I'll go down that road once in a while, he says. But yeah. it's usually just that so Velveeta There's, some wiggle, room. there's some wiggle room within the... Within the uh, okay, as long as there's some wiggle there. room. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, we got one text message here from somebody saying, if I had one food to live on for 17 years, it would be salad. Salads, huge variety of salads and very healthy. I salute your commitment to your health because I, you don't make friends with salad. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> Jeff Braun, you, um, you had two. If I was going to enjoy it every single time and not get sick of it, I, I just take McDonald's breakfast. That sausage and cheese McMuffin oh. with the hash brown and the coffee. Yeah, but no um, egg, right? No egg. That's yep. my favorite meal, period. Okay. But if it was something that I thought I would get sick of, I'd, like Kyle, I was thinking, what about variety? And I'd, Maybe lasagna, because there's a lot of different parts to a lasagna. So Ooh. some meals you could just eat the noodles. Sometimes you could just have the meat and the sauce. Or just a noodle meal. That yeah. sounds great. <laughs> okay. I'm dying to know what you're going to have, Brett. It would be pizza. For me, yeah. it would be pizza. And uh, I, I don't know that I would need a variety. It would just be uh, meat lovers. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I would take variety, though, on where the pizza would come from. You know, because I like to go back back and forth between Santa Lucia Pizza and Tony's Master of Pizza on Pembina Highway. Uh, but yeah, I'd be if I could eat pizza every day, I would be a very happy camper. Because usually when I get a pizza, I get like the extra large, so it lasts me three to four days. And even by day four, I'm still just loving it. Yeah, I'm I'm with you uh, on the same thing. I think it would be my mom's lasagna. I could eat that stuff. When I lived on my own in Calgary, I would make a big pan of it, and it would last three or four days, and I would have no problem having that for supper Monday, lunch Tuesday, supper Tuesday, and maybe even lunch again on Wednesday because it's so good. So I think it would be uh, mom's lasagna. That's a good – my mom made great lasagna too. And we have this up on Facebook as well where you can win tickets for Cirque du Soleil Amaluna by weighing in on this question. And there was one comment here that really stuck out for me because it was so hyper-specific. 
Uh, in terms of its listing of ingredients, and I'm just loading it up. Was it that soup? Yeah, it was a soup. Um, <laughs> turkey soup? Um, almost there. Oh, my God. We've so had many... so many comments. Yeah. Okay. Homemade. This is from Michelle, who says, homemade turkey broth soup with onions, celery, carrots, rice, and tomatoes. Every single time. You don't want to lock yourself into something that specific, though, do you? Well, hey, if, I guess if that you like good, it, apparently, if you can eat it every time. With or without crackers, though, that's what I want to know. You I want to put the soda crackers in there. Oh, yeah? I don't know. Or you could have leftover dinner buns from Thanksgiving, dinner oh. to dip in there. Oh, nice. Yeah. Have you ever tried the, the, like the organic peanut butter or the natural peanut butter, Kelly? I did once, and yeah. Not your thing? The rest of the jar went in the garbage. <laughs> you tried it and just chucked it? Just At least you tried it. it. Yeah. I had a jar of it brand new in my cupboard for a year, and then I just threw it out. <laughs> <laughs> Never opened it. Let us know, 204-780-6868. What Ooh. would you eat if you could only eat one thing for the next 17 years? we got one suggestion saying, barbecue steak. That sounds good, but I suggest your colon might not. Uh, Probably not like, like that. that. Tortier, that's very uh Ooh. Very specific request. I like that from Eve. Tortier, that's good. Domino's pizza, someone's saying. Another one, sushi. Tons of variety with sushi. That's a good pick, too. And good pick. I always feel great after I eat sushi. It's just refreshing. So that's a great suggestion. Now I am starving. Loren McNabb joins us once again from Portage, well, near Portage La Prairie. You're just outside Portage La Prairie, right, Loren? Yeah, about four miles north of Portage La Prairie um, at the home of Kirk Geislink, who uh, has been selling generators nonstop for the last four days to folks who are trying to get some semblance of power into their house. You can actually hear a generator perhaps in the background. Uh, It's been in use here for us this morning, but it's keeping a few of their rooms warm in the house and allowing them to get a few things done, perhaps even have a shower once in a while. But all around me, I just stepped outside. It is complete darkness. The power is back on in the city, but it is out and will remain out likely for several days to come outside city limits. You can't see a thing. It's uh, it's a quite kind of an eerie sight, to be honest with you. You'd at least see a few yard lights on this time, maybe, you know, a light in someone's kitchen window, and it is pitch black. Well, it looks like Manitoba Hydro's Bruce Owen is just about to join us now live on 680 CJOB. Bruce, good morning to you, sir. Bruce, are you there? Yeah, I just had to close some doors. Okay, thank you very much for joining us. Loren, why don't you start us off? Well, we're here with uh, some folks in Portage La Prairie, Bruce, where, as you told us yesterday, it could be 7 to 10 days for some people in this area before they see power back on. I know crews are moving into the city today. What's the deployment of resources at this point to have them staged, from what I understand, might be Southport? Uh, you know, I'm still getting updates, uh, Lauren, uh, from our EOC. Uh, I think our, our main focus uh, today, obviously, is getting the city of Portage La Prairie up. We still have approximately 1,200 customers without service. And then we have to start uh, getting the RM up, where we have almost 3,000 people still without service. Uh, our also, our focus is now going and uh, on this uh, transmission system uh, that's knocked out uh, north of the city of Portage. Uh, we have to get that back up and running as quickly as possible. And once we do that, then we can start restoring uh, the majority of customers in that area. It's that submission, uh, that transmission system that feeds a lot of the substations in the area that supply power. It's the images of those crumpled transmission towers, I think, that has a lot of people overwhelmed. Do you know how many of those towers have actually been essentially destroyed, Bruce? It, it, I, I don't know how many have been essentially destroyed. Uh, certainly, uh, some are beyond repair and have to be replaced. There's a number, a number that uh, the uh, insulators and the uh, conductor or the power line has been ripped from the larger towers. Uh, it's we have when one, once we get up close and get a better look at this, we'll know the true extent of the damage. Uh, the other issue, uh, which because uh, of the snow cover, it's melting now, uh, thankfully, uh, is that uh, we've got to make sure each of these towers stands on a concrete foundation. And we've got to make sure that those foundations haven't been compromised. 
Bruce, uh, obviously uh, another one of the challenges we've been seeing and hearing about is plain and simply just getting out to where the damage is. And with the warmer temperatures yesterday, a considerable amount of melting has taken place. But the hydro poles themselves, uh, I mean, the, the numbers must be incredible. One of our listeners suggesting that he's heard through the grapevine that there may be an actual shortage of hydro poles to replace the ones that have been damaged or broken. Can you give us any details on that? Uh, there's no shortage. Uh, there is a challenge, however. Uh, we do have stockpiles of poles around the province uh, that we can tap into. And we're also in contact with our neighboring utilities, particularly uh, Sask Power, uh, to tap into their supply of wood poles. Uh, the challenge, again, is uh, not so much uh, the number of poles we need and can access. It's getting them to where we need them. When you see pictures of, uh, sorry, Loren, but when you see pictures of these big towers that have buckled under the weight of the snow, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing that you first have, would you first have to do just a temporary patch before you can then replace stuff like uh, that? The, uh, it, it depends on the extent of the damage. Uh, certainly, uh, the focus is getting people up and getting this transmission up, uh, system up, uh, running as safely as we can. So that people uh, uh, and uh, the uh, indigenous communities, the ag communities, businesses, uh, and every home has power again. Uh, it will take a while, uh, months perhaps, to, for us to find to really look at the, what has to be rebuilt uh, and what has to be replaced. Our focus now is getting it up, running, so that it's reliable and that it. Uh, People have light. So the question, and then they have light to heat. Sorry, Bruce. Sorry, just power to heat. One last thought. One last question here. We just uh, from the people I've been talking to uh, this morning. You know, when they look at the damage and they hear that seven to ten day estimate, they think that that might not even be reasonable. Is that still the scenario you're looking at here for power restoration? Seven to ten days in the Portage, La Prairie area, or is it possible it could be longer? That's our target at the moment, but. Uh, uh, that all depends if the weather uh, cooperates. If there's snow or more rain in the forecast, that will slow potentially our progress. Our goal right now is seven to ten days. But, again, uh, we need Mother Nature to be on our side. Bruce Owen from Manitoba Hydro joining us live on 680 CJOB with an update. Bruce, thank you very much for your time. We appreciate it, sir. Uh, thank you very much. Thanks for having me on, and thanks, uh, you know, you guys for uh, helping us out in this. I know we're all uh, working long hours, and uh, I know a lot of people are frustrated, but uh, we appreciate uh, you helping us get the word out. All right, Bruce Owen with Manitoba Hydro joining us live. What was the, the deal with this guy from Florida? Well, he has basically eaten nothing but mac and cheese for 17 years. He seems to have an aversion to everything else, but I think once you get to a certain point of just being fussy, you go, well, you know, I'm, I'm allergic to everything else, or I have this aversion this or aversion that. He's trying to get help for it. Um, don't like to laugh at people with uh, certain, certain issues in their life, but uh, this is his reality, and so... Uh, we want to share it with you. He's very, been very open about it. Vice interviewed him. We played a little bit of that audio for you off the top this morning, and we just wanted to take a take a poll and find out if you had to eat one thing for seventeen years, what would what would you eat? And lots of people saying pizza, tacos, uh, anything Italian came through. Our friend mm. Eve said torchier. We had a very specific turkey soup recipe that one of our listeners said that she would have every day for 17 years. Kelly Moore said that he would have toast and peanut butter, which did not surprise anyone <laughs> in this neck of the woods. And uh, I said, my mom's lasagna. And Brett, what did you say? I said pizza. It's got to be meat lovers pizza. Maybe put some mushrooms on there. I, I guess I wouldn't... We, and we also sort of discussed, like, do we have to pigeonhole and, and just pick one very specific item or can it be a blanket uh so we'll continue that conversation on facebook and text us 204-780-6868 but we now have loren mcnab loren where are you now yeah i've moved on i was spent a couple hours this morning over on a farm north of portage where they've been without power since about friday 
generator was fi- firing up there to keep us on. And now I've moved over to the fire hall in the city of Portage. And I'm joined now, guys, by Phil Carpenter. He's the fire chief. He's also head of emergency operations. And just to add to the stress of the past couple of days, Phil, you also were without power until just last night. Is that right? Yeah, we got our power back about noon yesterday. So what was that like that just in terms of just as a citizen to not be not have your power for the first few days and also have to be as busy as you are as fire chief? Well, again, it was interesting, I'll put it. Um, we're, we were the same as everyone else. Um, it, it, I think we're, you know, very thankful that it wasn't colder. And, uh, yeah, we didn't put any extra heaters in or didn't have a generator going or anything else. So it, it was okay. You've been busy throughout the past three days uh, helping hydro crews get to where they need to be for repair jobs, assisting citizens. And this morning you guys are working on on the next phase. What can you tell us about what's being planned in terms of, I know there's still about 1,200 people without power in the city itself. And then, of course, there's a whole rural area where there's thousands more. Where do you go to work and and what are the conversations now, what what that looks like? Uh, Again, today, basically, our our goal is to, to try and get and work with the people that don't have power yet within our city. Like you said, roughly 1,200. They're, they're telling us 90% of our city has power back. And we are quarterbacking, assisting with uh, the camp for the hydro workers that are, as you know, doing uh, the work in our area. And we're helping, assisting with setting up the camp, arranging some food and accommodations, helping set up the cots. They're going to use the rec center at Southport and then set up some other portable camps there. So hydro workers will be moving into a facility at the airport south of Portage. Uh, do you know how many you're expecting to come in over the next few days? Again, they're uh, telling us that the, the numbers could be up to 300. Um, so, yeah, that's a, that's a lot of workers. And, again, we have to set things up to make sure they're comfortable so that they can do their work. It's an incredible amount of resources being deployed, 300 people moving just south of Portage to move in to help people without power. What's your number one concern for those who might be entering their fourth or fifth day without? Who is it uh, elderly or those with health conditions that you're most watchful for? Yeah, again, we have this stride place open, uh, available, if you want to come down there and have a, a shower, charge your phone, get into a warm place, something to eat. Uh, hopefully uh, neighbours are helping one another because as as we said 90 percent of our city has it but again looking at the rural component too um that's that's got to be tough on their situation but uh hopefully we're just helping one another get through it day by day hour by hour phil carpenter uh fire chief for the the portage fire paramedic service as well as the head of the emergency operations We are on storm duty today, storm fallout, Greg. And where is our good friend, Loren McNabb? She is in Portage La Prairie, which uh, really bore a, a great deal of the brunt of what we saw over the weekend. The entire city was without power for almost three full days. A Canadian curling event had to be cancelled because of the power outages. And, and that's just one small piece of the puzzle out in Portage La Prairie. Obviously, life has been dr- disrupted dramatically, but maybe starting to get back to a little bit of normalcy, Loren McNabb? Yeah, hi guys, and I just want to give uh, a heads up to you and to our listeners that uh, we've been hearing a lot about those communication delays, challenges with cell service out here in this area, hampering efforts to, you know, restore power and get people the help they need. And so in case I cut out, that's what's going on for me. Uh, I've had quite the remarkable half hour. I got here at five in the morning, so of course it was dark, and 
complete darkness because everything outside a city limits, everything north of Portage is completely black. There is no power. So if you, if you're lucky enough to have a generator, that's the only way to get things done in this part of Manitoba right now, north of Portage. You know, I just took a drive when I got here, like I said, it was dark. And so now I wanted to kind of take a look around and see what, what's going on and what's the challenge here. And first of all, just inside city limits where there's still about 1200 people without power. If there's a tree on your yard, if there's a tree on the street, half of it's down, branches are down, leaves are everywhere, and of course, so are their power lines. Pretty familiar for what you'd be seeing in Winnipeg, in many parts of Winnipeg. But just took a drive about four miles north of Portage and saw a down pole and thought, you know what, I'll take a turn here and see what I can find. Guys, I didn't... I didn't see an end to the damage. I probably drove at least four miles west and the poles might be standing, but if they're standing, the lines are down. If there's one line up, two more are ripped. Pieces of the pole are ripped. It, it went on mile after mile after mile. It is an incredible sight here. And you can see why some of the people we've been talking to out here this morning say, yeah, I hear Hydro when they say seven to 10 days to restore this, but based on what they're seeing and, and the damage, the extent of it, it's going to take a serious amount of time. The effort will be remarkable to go in here. So, Loren, we had uh, Kayla Evans share with us some of the snowfall totals. And Portage La Prairie was in at 30 centimeters, which was a little bit less even than what Winnipeg had. But they had some very strong winds in that part of the province. Carberry, on the other hand, had more than twice as much snow as Portage La Prairie did, 74 centimeters, and more than almost exactly twice as much at 64 centimeters. So those parts of the province, I know along Highway 2, 3, Highway 23, we've been hearing reports of uh, nothing but downed hydro poles along those highways. It's remarkable when you think about the varying amounts that fell, guys, and the damage that did depending on where you are in this province. You know, you might be in an area that doesn't have a lot of trees, and so the lines might go down, but the fix is easier. Uh, where I am, there's a lot of trees. There was a lot of wind. I, they think that they might got had a bit of that lake effect, right? Coming off Lake Manitoba, the winds we know can be really high, and that can impact the damage and also just create more of that heavier wet stuff so they maybe didn't get as much but it was so heavy and it was so wet and we've heard that over and over again here and throughout parts of southern Manitoba that it's that type of snow that smell that just brought down those lines and brought down those trees and so now what they're looking at uh, we talked to the fire chief just at 745 the Portage La Prairie fire chief to fix this they're talking about bringing in 200 people minimum setting them up in cots at the rec center at the Southport Airport and having them stay here for the next 5, 10, 15 days until the work is restored. Part of it will be temporary and then there'll be that permanent fix. But it, it's just really incredible the weight of that snow and the wind. You were talking, Greg, earlier about those metal towers, the, the big transmitters that, you know, were snapped in half or bent or crumpled. I don't know if you're familiar with Portage, but there's the island where they have uh, the rec center and the pool. Well, apparently one of those metal towers actually was pulled down so hard it ended up in the water that goes around the island. Just the sheer weight of that snow and the wind toppled that tower. Just looking at Manitoba Hydro's outage list, 14,735 customers affected as of now, 2,700 of those in the RM of Portage La Prairie, uh, just uh, over 1,200 in the city. And Lorena, for those who maybe missed this detail over the weekend too, wasn't Portage, weren't they asking people not to flush their toilets? Yeah, it got pretty dicey for them Sunday and Monday because without power, of course, the sewer system is impacted. And so there was lots of concerns about sewage backup, concerns about backups into basements, about flooding. And so, you know, to top off the fact that you don't have the power, those are the, the things you might not think about. Your power goes down, your water system or your sewage system, all the rest don't necessarily operate the same way. And so people were not only being asked to watch their water, but to watch their flushing. It was a very real concern that they were going to see a ton of backups. And so that's why they were so grateful that the power got back on in the city. But outside the city, as you mentioned, those 2,700 customers, Brett, uh, was at a homeowner's place this morning where they have a generator running. It hasn't stopped since, you know, Friday night, basically. If they don't keep that going, they also have to worry about the basements backing up and the sewer backup. And so it's just, even if you have that generator, 
it's only heating one room and it's not necessarily providing you with a ton of comfort. They're waking up constantly to check their basements, to check, check their sewers, to check to make sure everybody's warm. And that's their scenario for days to come still. Yeah, those list stations which move the water uh, to the sewage treatment plant, they were without power. You have to be concerned about whether or not your sump pump is running. So without electricity, that's not happening. And even if you have a natural gas burning fire uh, furnace, rather, uh, that's not working because you, you need electricity to light the igniter. So uh, without power, without heat, a real challenge for a lot of folks. Loren, I hear you trudging around. Sounds like you're in a snowbank. Well, I'm a, I had to pull over to find a good signal. And so there's a lot of traffic going by. And you, I basically am in a snowbank. And another thing that's interesting about the damage here is you can see all these tracks in the snow now where hydro crews and other have gone in to try to to try to repair things. But again, so much work still to be done. After nine o'clock, I'm going to introduce you to the guy who uh, invited us into his home this morning, got the generator running, and tell you a bit about what he's doing to try to help other people get through this. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Greg, what are we doing now? Well, we're going to pay some tribute to a Winnipeg Blue Bomber legend, and we're also going to give some young people in our community an opportunity to grow their education in recognition of former Winnipeg Blue Bomber legend, the great Jack Jacobs. Eagle Vision, in association with the Bombers, are giving out two $5,000 scholarships to two Indigenous high school athletes going into post-secondary schooling. Now, the... Deadline fast approaching October 18th. Kyle Irving is a partner in Eagle Vision, joins us this morning to tell us more. Good morning, Kyle. Morning, guys. Thanks for doing this, and thanks for uh, putting together and being a part of this scholarship. Uh, first of all, for those that uh, don't know, tell us a little bit about Jack Jacobs. Well, one of the greatest uh, bomber alumni of all time, and uh, a few years ago when the bombers inducted him into the Ring of Honor, uh, this opportunity presented itself to create a scholarship to uh, remember him and his legacy, what he did for this community um, as one of the uh, greatest players in the in the history of the Bomber alumni, but also as, you know, a proud Indigenous person who uh, accomplished great things in the sport. So uh, it, it seemed natural to uh, celebrate him, his legacy, and his family by uh, creating a scholarship that could be given out to young Indigenous athletes who are going into a post-secondary education. So uh, there's no hiding the fact that you are Bob Irving's uh, son. And so uh, that's not why you're here today. You're here because Eagle Vision is doing some incredible work uh, in the production realm and, and in, the, in the world of film and in cinema. Why don't you tell us a little bit about Eagle Vision for those that have been following your career and those that, that know a little bit about what you've been up to and those that don't. Well, 2020 will be the 20th anniversary of Eagle Vision's existence. Uh, it's uh, a company that I'm in partnership with uh, with my wife, Rebecca Gibson, and with Lisa Meaches, who I've been a partner uh, with for 19 years in the company. And Lisa is an Indigenous woman from Long Plain First Nation. And so uh, the 19 years we've spent together, uh, we've had a priority within the company to support the Indigenous community through storytelling, uh, opportunity, and uh uh, developing talent from that community. So this is kind of a natural extension of the work that we do um, both on screen and off. And the, the amount that is uh, being presented for these scholarships, $5,000 a piece, like this is, uh, this is a big deal kind of scholarship. I remember getting a scholarship in high school and it was like 200 bucks. So $5,000 is a life-changing opportunity. Well, I think... Uh we're, we see the importance of giving back to this community that gives us so much when it comes to the film and television production that we do. Um, we can't succeed without the support of Winnipeg and Manitoba residents. We do our work here. We make our shows here. Uh, we find and develop our talent here. We're very grateful for the support that we get from the government when it comes to the tax credit. And so uh, it's been successful here. The industry is growing at a very rapid pace, and we want to give back. And so this is reflective of um, how well the industry is doing. And, and when industry does well, uh, it's reciprocated back to the community. Yeah, I've always felt that that's uh, one of the obligations when you do well is to give back, whether with time or money, and and good on you for doing that. Now, uh, now, as with most scholarships, there are some 
parameters in terms of who's invited to apply. And according to the information I have, Kyle, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, the two scholarships will be awarded to two Indigenous high school athletes who plan on pursuing a post-secondary education and who have a passion for sport, a love for football, and a commitment to balance between sports and academics. And before I let you go, what, what does that look like in your mind? I think anyone who's participated in sports understands um, what a character-building experience that can be. Uh, you learn about uh, the importance of focusing on you as an individual and growing as an individual, but also the, the team aspect of that. Uh, it's incredibly powerful to uh, develop y- your character by uh, participating in sports. Uh, but without the educational side of things, uh, you won't have that balance. That word balance is key to this. And I think that that's something that uh, it comes directly from uh, the teachings I've learned through uh, my time in the Indigenous community is that everything in the world needs balance. And when it comes to a person's development and their education, uh, you need to find that balance too. And sports and academics, uh, there's a terrific balance there that will develop some uh, incredible young people in our community. October 18th is the application deadline. Once again, where do people go to apply? You can go to the Blue Bombers website, bluebombers.com, and uh, we'll give the scholarship out at halftime at the most important game of the year. I project uh, October 25th, which will decide first place and hopefully secure our home playoff game. I like the way you're thinking. Kyle Irving, thank you for this. really appreciate you and what you're doing. All the best to everyone at Eagle Vision for uh, bringing this forward. Appreciate it. Thanks very much. Once again, in recognition of former Winnipeg Blue Bomber legend, the great Jack Jacobs, Eagle Vision in association with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers are giving out two $5,000 scholarships to two Indigenous high school athletes going into post-secondary schooling. And now let us head back out. Oh, you know what? Just before that, I think we were supposed to do this. Yeah. Loren McNabb, is that uh, like, are you on a riding mower or something out there? (laughs) (laughs) That's what it sounds like, but that's the sound that's been playing across uh, parts of this province over the past five days. That's the sound of a generator. And uh, Kirk Giesling had us in his house this morning in his shed uh, where we were powering up to try to get some good cell signal. That's what he's been using to keep his house or at least a couple rooms in his house warm since he went without power Thursday night. So Thursday till now, guys, that's uh, going into fourth and fifth day. Kirk is also the owner of Avenue Honda Polaris. And I just uh, stepped into his office a few minutes ago and Kirk joins us now. And phones are ringing off the hook because you also happen to sell generators as part of your business. Yes, we do. Um, We sold out instantly on Saturday morning and we've gotten three more loads that were all spoken for instantly. And I'm, I'm currently trying to work with Honda Canada to get an emergency load here. But we don't have anything concrete yet on that. But we're trying. People even coming in, you, you were mentioning that it's kind of one of those things that you don't pay attention to until you're without power. And so there are people in this area who have old generators that they're also bringing to you saying, oh, please, can you please fix this? Because we might be out uh, without power for several days. Yeah, no, we've unloaded quite a few already here this morning. And, and the service folks are doing their best to get everybody up and running as best we can. The hardest part uh, for you without power now since Thursday night, what's been the challenge? You've got a wife, you've got a, a young daughter. She's back home right now making sure, I guess, is she been taught how to run the generator and make sure it works as well as possible while you're away? Oh, yeah. No, she's uh, familiar with machines and how to keep things going. And, and we got a wood stove, so, I mean, we're a lot more fortunate than some folks that don't have heat or power. Um, but still, it's it's a challenge. I mean, every room you walk into, you still hit the, the lights, and, and of course, there is none. So it's uh, it's just a, a totally different uh, experience. With the generator, it's not like it fixes the problem. It doesn't heat the whole house or keep things going like normal. It helps you run a few appliances. How are you working yours? Uh, well, actually, I've got uh, a small one running just lights and, and uh, the Wi-Fi, and then I've got a, a 2200 that's running the freezer and the fridge, and uh, that seems to be keeping us going. Um, if you were trying to run heaters and stuff, you would need probably a three to 5,000. So it gets cold at night still, even with that? Uh, well, the wood stove is keeping up. Thank goodness it's not minus 30, or else we'd be in real trouble. 
When you hear the estimates, seven to 10 days for power restored, I just took a drive around your neighborhood, four miles north of Portage, uh, row after row of poles down, lines down. When you see that kind of damage, do you believe you're going to have power back in that time, or are you thinking you need to prepare for a little longer? Well, we're definitely going to prepare, um, but I know the hydro crews are, are doing the absolute best they can. Uh, we sent out uh, three rangers yesterday. Uh, two staff members came in and were gracious enough to put tracks on two units to send out to the power lines. So, I mean, I know the hydro's doing an awesome job and, and hopefully they meet their goal of the seven to ten days. Your answer to those who are calling in now saying, oh, please, Kirk, can you get me a generator? You'll do your best? Yeah, we're just taking names and, and I'm going to see what I can do. All right, guys, that's Kirk Yeeslink. He's uh, been without power since Thursday night. He's also the owner of Avenue Honda Polarius, where the phones, uh, I, I walked in 30 seconds later, the phone was <laughs> ringing, people looking for help. Not a surprise at all. And uh, you give Kurt some good news as well. Loren, we just had a text messenger say uh, in the last 10 minutes, two semi-loads of hydro poles just went north on Highway number six. So the work is in full swing, those uh, recuperation efforts and to get power up and running up in the interlake and out and around Portage La Prairie in full effect this morning. We also got a text. I'll pass that along, Kirk. A truck load of poles was seen coming uh, down the highway. So the workers are coming in, the crews are coming in. Patience, I guess, right? That's good news, yeah. Thanks, guys. have someone in studio we are very excited about this is a man who has been nominated for multiple awards for his latest writing effort yeah our next guest has been nominated for this year's governor general literary award he's the only author in canada this year to be nominated for both major literary awards the governor general award and the uh, giller prize and he's also been nominated for the writer's trust award his new novel is the innocence tonight you can meet michael crummy at mcnally Robinson as part of their collaborative fall literary series co-presented by the Winnipeg International Writers Festival. But uh, you get to meet him right now as he joins us in the studio. Good morning, Michael. Good morning. Great to be here. <laughs> Great to have you here. And before we move on and talk about your book and your writing career, we have to ask you, being from Newfoundland, is there anything that you might uh, decide that you would eat uh, every day for the next 17 years if you were forced into doing so? Right. If I had an anxiety disorder that, uh, I, I mean, at another time in my life, I might have said craft dinner. Uh, <laughs> that but might not have been by choice. That, well, <laughs> that was probably economic it, it was kind of. It was kind of the, like my wife and I have three kids and there was a point where we started finding ourselves alone in the house at supper time, unexpectedly. So she would make a big bowl of popcorn, and I would make craft dinner. That was our that was our treat to ourselves. Okay. But it started happening a lot, <laughs> and then at a certain point, we looked at each other and we thought, "We got to come up with something different." Like I, I just can't, I can't go KD this much, this often. <laughs> Don't you add anything to your craft dinner? Oh, I'm just a, a pepper and ketchup guy. Pepper and ketchup. Yeah, lots of pepper. And you do the milk and the butter no or margarine? Milk. No milk. No just milk. Just the margarine. Yeah, that's yeah, the way I yeah. go too. I don't. I don't use the milk either. I just use a splash of milk. I know the full <laughs> the, the full recipe of milk doesn't uh, doesn't work. But no, I just I, like a bit of a splash. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, I, we could talk about craft dinner all day. <laughs> we probably could, and it might be more interesting to no, stay on it. <laughs> just the mere fact that you're from Newfoundland alone uh, makes you more interesting than most, uh, because I have never met anybody from Newfoundland who wasn't fascinating and super friendly what is it about people from Newfoundland by the way that like why what makes Newfoundlanders so friendly uh, I mean it's it's I, I don't know if I can explain it it's a, a part of the culture you know like I've always said that Newfoundlanders are at their best with with the visitors and there's something about uh, island culture and I think it's true a lot of a lot of islands that um, when someone shows up they usually have made quite an effort or gone through a lot to get there and so people go out of their way, I think, to make them feel welcome, you know. And I think that just, uh, that has been part of the culture there from the beginning. And it's, it's, even though Newfoundland is connected now in a way it's never been to the rest of the world, I think that part of it is still there. 
You know? One of my favorite Newfoundland-isms, if, if that is such a thing, is the fact uh, I've heard the story from multiple people when you're making supper and you're peeling the potatoes, you know, if you've got five expected for supper, you always make one for the extra. Right. One for the pot, right? as they say. Because yeah. somebody, you never know, someone yeah. might show up yeah. for a meal and you want to make sure you have enough. That's so, right. I, I heard a story about a guy who, uh, uh, there was a traveling salesman showed up at his door around supper time. So he just, you know, said, well, are you, would you like to come in and have supper with us? And he said, well, yes, and I've got my family's in the car because this guy was driving around the island. And could they come in? So they came, he had a family of five. And he said they came in and ate everything he had. He never got a lick himself. My goodness. <laughs> But that's the way it goes, I guess. That is the way it goes. So tell us a, a little bit, I mean, uh, about these awards and this recognition. I mean, this isn't the first time for you. Is it getting old hat? Uh, no, it never gets old. I mean, I, I've, uh, I've, been, I've been lucky enough to land on, on a list for, for most of the books, you know. Um, and that just uh, is something to ha- for people to hang the book on. Like if you're doing a tour, if you're going out... It's something people can talk about. They can say it's been nominated for this or that. But to be nominated for all three of those awards for one book is really not... If, I feel like I've used up my, my portion of good luck for this year. Well, you know, I don't for know. This novel. I think it's more skill. Your first novel, River Thieves, correct? Yep. Uh, finalist for the 2001 Scotiabank Giller Prize. Your second novel, The Wreckage, was a finalist for the Rogers Writers Trust Fiction Prize. And the third novel, the predecessor to The Innocence, I'm to assume? No. No, the third was Galore. Right? Yes, Which, the third yeah. was good, but that's that's no. The, there's one in between. One in between, yeah, Sweetland so, as well. Did it get any nominations? Uh, it was nominated for the GG as Gee well. Yeah. Whiz. See, yeah, so there you go. So. Yes. So how about that? So you know, always a bridesmaid. <laughs> well, maybe you'll win this year. <laughs> maybe maybe this year will be different. Do we need but, to campaign on your behalf? What, what's what's the tipping point? How do how do how do they decide who wins y- these? Yeah, things? no, I mean, I think people will take bribes. Yeah, you know, <laughs> if, if if you have money to to throw around, possibly. I don't know. I don't know. Obviously, I don't know how that works because I've never. You haven't managed to win. Yet. That's right. <laughs> you never, okay, so you haven't won, but you've been nominated yeah. for all these various awards. So, like for example, your first novel, your first novel was a finalist for the Scotiabank Giller. Uh, the second novel uh, was not, I believe. So, was it? Was, is there disappointment if you put something out and it doesn't get nominated for something? Yeah, I mean, I th- <laughs> the thing about the book business in in the country at the moment, and it's been true for a while, is that um, it's hard to get attention for books, you know? And uh, if it if books don't end up on these lists, it's even harder. So there's dis- disappointment in the sense that, you know, it just means that your job is a little bit harder in terms of getting the, the book out there. But there's also so much uh, luck involved in ending up on these lists. Like, every jury is different. Every jury has different opinions. And uh, so you have to just, uh, my sense of it is you just have to take the good when it comes your way and and when it doesn't, you just, you know, ignore it and carry on. Because uh, in the end, the only thing that really says whether or not a book is any good is, is time, you know. So um, these things are really nice in the moment. And uh, this fall has been pretty amazing for me and for this book so far. Um, but uh, uh, it's really just about uh, hoping the book gets out there and finds readers who really, who really fall for the book. So this book is uh, based in Newfoundland. Yes, yeah. And uh, I've often commented over the last several years how Winnipeg seems to pop up in popular culture, television shows, movies. Uh, Guy Madden, of course, has, yeah. has proudly pronounced his love affair with Winnipeg, a love-hate relationship, if you like. Newfoundland is almost like Winnipeg in the sense that it, it can be a character to a certain extent, that you don't have to say too much. You just name the place and people get a, a general vision about what that's all about. Is that is that something special that Manitoba and, and Newfoundland maybe have in common? Yeah, I, I think, I mean, I feel like Newfoundland and, and Winnipeg particularly um, have had a similar trajectory in terms of like, the, there's all kinds of negative stereotypes about both places. 
And, uh, and, but anybody who gets to know either place realizes what a hotbed of culture and what, how interesting the people are. And, and it's partly the geography of the places that make them mm-hmm. really interesting. Isolated, we can say it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, I mean, Winnipeg is kind of like an island, you know, it, it really reminds me of Newfoundland in some ways. Um, and that creates a particular culture that is unlike other places and therefore becomes interesting to people in other places because it's different. Um, and uh, it's happened for Winnipeg over the last 20, 25, 30 years. And I think it's happened for Newfoundland as well, that people are waking up to it, you know, that there, there are storytellers coming out of these places and, uh, and they're telling stories that are unlike stories people have heard from anywhere else. And um, so it's been a really exciting time for me. I mean, I started writing at a time when Newfoundlanders almost could not get published outside of Newfoundland, you know. And even if they were, they were treated as regional writers. So there was no big push from the publisher or anything like that. They considered it was a very – that the market for it was really small. Um, but what's happened uh, in the last 20 years is this sort of explosion of fantastic writers from Newfoundland finding big audiences outside of Newfoundland. Um, so it's been really great to to be writing at a time when that's when that's happening. I know we're running out of time, but in 30 seconds or less, <laughs> how much of that has, can you attribute that to uh, come from away and its popularity uh, on Broadway? Right. There's got to be some correlation yeah, there. Yeah, well, I mean, I think uh, the shipping news was the start in many ways, right? A book by an American about Newfoundland. And it just gave the lie to this notion that nobody outside of Newfoundland would be interested. And I think in some ways come from away is a result of that trajectory and is just carrying it forward. You know, I don't know if that story uh, would have had the same starting place if, if all the work hadn't been done ahead of it. So, but it is, yeah, it is a great time to be an artist or a writer working out of, out of the place that I come from. Michael Crummy is from St. John's, Newfoundland. He is going to be at McNally Robinson Grand Park in the atrium at 7 o'clock tonight. You can meet Michael as part of McNally Robinson's collaborative fall literary series co-presented by the Winnipeg International Writers Festival. His new novel, The Innocents, has been nominated for this year's Governor General Literary Awards, the Giller, and the Writers' Trust Award. And it is certainly going to be a great read if you pick it up tonight at McNally. Michael Real pleasure to meet you. Thank you for coming to see us today. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think. And hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global. And on Instagram, at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.